I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. So as a child on the family farm in Scotland, I remember one of the few TV programmes my dad sat down to watch, and that was the hugely popular series All Creatures Great and Small. And these were made by the BBC and based on the books by the British veterinary surgeon Alf Wright, who wrote under the pseudonym James Herriot. Well, since this series, there's been a real fascination towards the real-life work of vets. And today I'm over the moon to be having a wee chat with a man who is not only an extraordinary vet and has continued the fascination of bringing all things vet-like to our screens through the massively successful The Yorkshire Vet, but he's also a prolific author, a scholar, a daring sportsman, and to cap it all, was awarded, wait for it, the Dalesman Yorkshireman of the Year 2017. So it could be none other than the naked vet himself, Julian Norton. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you've got your clothes on. <laughs> I have, yes, but bizarrely, this time last week I was doing another podcast with um, some people who are now friends from BBC Radio Sheffield, uh, and they have their own podcast, which is called The Naked Podcast, and the guests <laughs> are all naked. And they said to me, um, would I like to do it? So I thought, well, this sounds quite funny. So we had exactly the same as we're ch- chatting now, except I was sitting pretty much here with, without any clothes on at all. And I was thinking oh today, life. now, which podcast is it today? Is it the... <laughs> Evelyn Glennie podcast, or is it the naked one? But you, you, you can see I got the right one today. So uh, it's been well, a I, I don't mind. However, you want to turn up is fine by me. I've seen all sorts. <laughs> and actually, you know, being a farmer's daughter myself, I remember you know the various vets coming to the farm and and sorting things out. And and yes, they were you know they often had to strip down you know whilst an arm was up the the backside of a, a sheep or a cow or something so it was quite a normal sight yeah it's a strange thing people often say why why do we do it it's not out of exhibitionism at all but pra- <laughs> practically um it saves getting a shirt ruined even if you've got protective um equipment yeah. on the that that part of the shirt gets ruined with you know Absolutely. dirt and stuff and you can also if you imagine your sleeve rolled up you you can with no top on you can go that much further inside, so yes, there is yes. a practical reason as as much as um, uh, as much as a um, you know a, an aesthetic uh, reason. Yeah. But of course, the cabbie, <laughs> they loved it. The first the first everything that we filmed and we started doing the Oxford was um, was me and I had to take my top off and I thought, what am I going to do here? And my decision was quickly made: <laughs> just be normal, Julian. Just be normal. Um, and and I did, and and the rest kind of went from there, really. Amazing, because I remember the vets wearing a great long, almost like a, a rubber glove, but it was right up to their, their shoulder almost, you know. Yeah, yeah was, we still use those. Yeah. Certainly, if you're uh, pregnancy testing cows, for example, then then the, you do rectal examinations, and then a, a glove is essential if you yeah. want to keep clean fingernails. Yeah. I mean, why do you think, though, since all creatures great and small, there, there's been this real continued interest in you know following the, the the a day in the life of a vet you know it it just seems an amazing thing and surely it must be a huge educational tool not only for those who are you know following um the footsteps of being a vet but also for perhaps our youngsters who may not know you know where 
milk comes from, where eggs come from, where, you know, bacon comes from and so on. You, you know what I mean? It, it, there just seems a real fascination. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, there is a fascination. You know, people love animals and I think particularly, you know, in, in Britain there's a very strong affinity with, with animals of all types um, and that's always something that's captivated people's imagination. I think, you know, vets, it's kind of wholesome work, isn't it? It's making animals better, it's bringing life into the world and and that's really life affirming almost literally life kind of creating and life affirming and at times such Mm. as we're in now that seems to be something that's really important um yeah you know and it's very varied what we do as vets is today i've been operating all morning but yesterday i was looking at cows tomorrow it's sheep monday was pigs big woolly hairy pigs so literally every day is different um which is something that brings quite a richness to to our job. Um, yeah. But yeah, people do seem fascinated, in, incredibly so. When I look on Channel Five on a Tuesday night, and it's still us there, um, <laughs> still getting people watching. It's amazing. But it, I, one of the things I've really loved is, as you say, educating people in a pretty gentle way. It's not a documentary. It's it's you know the I like I would ideally like to be a little bit more informative and have more um you know more not science but more sort of facts in the program but it's an entertainment program and, and we can get a lot of, of information across like say these days a lot of people there is a big yeah. disconnect between the food that we eat and the milk and where it comes from mm. so if we can bring that together then it's definitely a mm. good thing and i think also our relationship with animals you know of all descriptions is is just so it's so important to us, you know, as human beings, we, we do like pets of one sort or another. And, and I think that we, we often care more for our pets sometimes than, than people. You know, there seems to be an affinity um, between a vet and an animal, an owner and an animal. You know, I took Sophie, my cat, to the local vet just, just you know, a few weeks ago. And, and honestly, the care that was taken over this this old cat, you know, and then I go to the doctor or something and it said, well, pull yourself together and you'll be fine, you know, in a day or so. And and uh, so the empathy seems to be much greater. And I think that when you're watching a programme like the Yorkshire Vet or, or anything like that, it's it's tapping into the emotion of the the owner as well as the expertise of the vet as well as the environment as well as just you know what that might mean financially to uh, a particular situation if it's a farmer or something like that what does it mean to lose uh, a sheep or a or a cow or something you know it all has an impact really and I think you know it's really interesting to tap into those elements. Yeah, I mean, when we first started making the the Yorkshire Vet, we thought it would be six episodes. That would be it. We'd have a bit of fun um, on a Tuesday night, and and then life would get back to normal. But and it was because you know we didn't see the longevity. I thought you know once we've had a carving, and then a lambing, and then a dog that's you know vomiting or whatever. Yeah, that that's it. We've done that. But then I quite quickly realised. That behind every animal there was a, a human, and and it was actually mm. the human element that was the thing that was uh, of interest. You know, you can look at the you know the, the 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 dog or the cat or the cow, and that's interesting and cute, and you know we can make that connection for sure. But it's actually the the person behind the animal and the 
emotional connection between the two and and um and that's really i think what drives the success of the program it's the um yeah it's the strength of that bond i'm sitting here now talking to you and at my feet i don't know whether you can see if i go like that my little dog oh oh look at that oh Oh. definitely wanting attention right now yeah but she's good it's it's that sort of unconditional (laughs) unconditional unswerving love really that the animals give us and you know she she never gets fed up of me she never thinks of doing what a pillar you know shut up um, <laughs> never answers back you know she's there's an un, unconditional love um that, that yeah. our animals uh, have with us and, and that's pretty special i think isn't it yeah it is really and i think one of the other things i've absolutely loved in uh the yorkshire vet is is the humor you know there's a kind of dry humor that that feeds through everything and it puts things in perspective because i suppose you're dealing with just so many situations you know good and maybe not so good and and but yet that thread of of uh, just hanging on to the real humor is is really important without belittling anything yeah it's i mean i've always f- found animals to be you know to be amusing they do funny things they look often hilarious even uh, even just like I say my dog here she's you know oh, she just look. looks funny doesn't she she is funny um so there's a lot of of humor that com- comes with uh, with animals and you can't pr- tell them what to do you can't predict what they're going to do often um and it, it just makes you smile without even trying to be funny and then of course there are some some genuinely hilarious things that happen um especially in the context of of um of, of veterinary work you know there's there's lots of bodily fluids that go in the wrong place at the wrong time and there's animals that escape and and um yeah endless really yeah um, you could write yeah. a book about it so i mean when you're filming for the yorkshire vet it, I, I mean are you choosing what to film do you have a plan b at all is it just something that is quite spontaneous i mean obviously you can't ask the animals to to do anything unnatural but I mean, how how are the things chosen uh, when you're filming for something like that? That's a really good question. Um, well, when we first started, they, they literally filmed everything that we were doing. Um, and that was in part because um, no one knew what kind of content there would be. Um, no one knew what volume of cases we would have that would be useful. Partly to, I think, get us used to having a camera pointed at us and, and everything that came in, unless it was a dog vaccination or a, a cat's, you know, nails to be clipped, they would, they would film. Yeah. But then, and, and then over time we've got a bit more selective and, and there's you, there's a camera crew with me pretty much all the time, which is quite a small crew, a sound, a sound engineer and a, well, they hold a boom. I don't know whether it's called a sound yeah. engineer, but a sound person and, and the PD uh, with a, a, the camera and that's it. So it's yeah. two two people and me, um, and it varies. Sometimes it's literally as it happens. I'll, I'll phone up um, the PD that I'm working with and say, you know, Laura, I'm going to carve a cow. Can you be here in five minutes? They have a little office around the corner. Sometimes they're sitting in the practice waiting, and then we wow. go off to to carve the cow, and she'll be sitting there mm-hmm. saying, "Where are we going, Julian? Tell me what's happening." And I'll say, well, yeah. I'm heading off to carve a cow. Could be really tense. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and then other times, it's a little bit more sort of, you know, if I know, for example, I've got 
oh, for example, I was speaking to someone today about a bearded dragon that's got a, a black spot <laughs> on his tail. So oh. I would then phone up Ross and say, right, a bearded dragon's coming in tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be like, um, yeah. but it might be interesting to film. And then they kind of get ready and, and film it like that. So it's a mix yeah. of very spontaneous things um, and sometimes a little bit more kind of controlled. Um, yeah. But it, it's all very natural. I mean, everything that we do is is as it happens. Um, it's real, yeah. And it's real, and I think that's really part of the appeal of the programme. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. real-life stuff. Absolutely. It, it could hardly not be. I mean, you could barely stage something like that, really. But And I suppose the amount of people in the crew would have an impact as regards to how the animal might react, you know, if it's a horse or something, or, or I don't know. I mean, I obviously don't know, but I'm only imagining. Yeah. Um, I mean, once upon a be... time, there was a, an edict came down from above that said, for health and safety reasons, we had to wear, or the crew had to wear fluorescent jackets. Um, oh. safe high visibility jackets and I said yep. no that's not going to work because we can't go on to for example see a horse that might be injured or frightened or poorly and yeah. three people are there, two people are there wearing high vis jackets it doesn't work, you've got to blend in and be part of the part of the yep. um, you know the the, 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 the farm um, really environment, yeah, yeah, yeah and how about the owners, I mean have they normally been pretty open to the idea of being filmed and and yeah, that, uh, that's another good question. Um, and there's three camps, um, and and the third of people definitely don't want to be filmed at all. No way, uh-huh. don't, you know, don't want to be. And that's end of story. Can't be persuaded. Uh, Is that a Yorkshire trait? Do you think? Um, or a generational one? Or um, hard to say. It's hard to say. I, it's it's also hard to predict. Who who's going okay. to um, be up for it, as it were? Um, and so, I mean, I went to to do a cesarean uh, a few weeks ago on a on a cow, and the farmer, big, great, big, kind of gruff, <laughs> very non-smiling kind of farmer. And I I, 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 I was almost certain he would say, "No, I don't want any cameras on my farm." But I thought I'll just put the question to him as I was about to set off. So I said, "Oh yeah, I'll be coming. I'll be there in ten minutes, whatever." I've got a cameraman with me who's desperate to film something. Would it be all right if he comes along? Fully expecting to get effing and blinding yep. and all sorts of... And he said... Uh, it was quite the opposite. I said, oh, yeah, I think that'd be really good. I'd love to show off, you know, my farm and my cattle. Um, oh, wow. So he was... And he was... Interesting. Really quite... Um, qu- quite um, proud of his of his stock and... And really yeah. wanted to talk and and tell people and show people what you know what a good job he was doing on his farm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and then there's, there's some people who are completely ambivalent and aren't interested and or, or, or don't mind and they'll be just yep. go with the flow. And then there's other people who put the makeup on and get their hair done specially and <laughs> and and almost come in with like cats that don't really have anything wrong with them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. Um, yeah. um, so, so you've got to kind of create a, a, a scenario. Oh, yes, what's that lump on the back of the ear or something? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny. There's, there's definitely three camps uh, that don't yeah. really move. If you, you're either in one camp or another or, or the third camp. So that's been yeah, really interesting. Yeah. And to see the other thing that's really fascinating that I never imagined um, is 
to see how people react when a camera's pointed at them. Because if, oh, yes. if the farmer's being interviewed or the owner's being um, asked questions about, you know, what the, I don't know, what, what the, what, what the animal means to them. Um, and I'll be standing there doing my thing or writing the notes on the computer or whatever, or maybe taking the animal away to be x-rayed or whatever. And then there'll be, they usually have a few minutes of questions to the owner. And it's, if you think about it, it's not something that most people are asked very directly. How do you feel? You know, this bull, yeah. what does it mean to you? How important is this bull to the farm? And it's really interesting to see how people emotionally open up um, when asked quite direct questions that they wouldn't be asked in normal life. And, and yeah. series one of the Yorkshire Vet, there was a really interesting um, um, uh, case that I was seeing. It was a bull that was... I was doing a fertility test on this bull because some of the heifers that had been in the field with were not pregnant. So the, there was a suspicion that the bull wasn't wasn't fertile. So I'd done this investigation um, and concluded that that was, that was the case. He wasn't fertile and he was only young. And the camera person at the time asked, was asking the farmer about this. And again, you know, a, a gruff, tough, rough, elderly Yorkshire farmer um, mm. You know how how what does it mean to you this bull, and you know what impact does it have on your farm and your livelihood? The fact that is, you know, he can't get anything pregnant. Anyway, he burst into tears. Did this farm and he was crying and he oh, was. He said, "You know, I'm doing my best. I'm really trying to get my herd um, to be yeah. really good of a certain standard, and this is, mm. you know, not what I wanted, not what I expected." Um, and yeah, burst into tears. So yeah, interesting. It is fascinating to see. People kind of rather than clamming up and going inward when faced with questions and cameras, a lot of people it's the opposite. They really the emotions really come out, and that's been yes. really fascinating to see. Yeah, I mean it. You know, I remember uh, you know on on our family farm, which is just north of Aberdeen, and and I remember during the the BSE time and you know, foot and mouth and all of that kind of thing. And, and you know, the farm was, was devastated by that, as indeed were hundreds and hundreds of farms up and down the country, thousands of, of farmers. And and I just think, I mean, apart from that aside, I've definitely seen, in a way, that emotion come through. But it'll only come through, certainly in my experience, when the, the farmer is in the company of a person who understands their environment, their their predicament, their situation, you know, because they are trying their best to, to solve a situation. And it is interesting. And otherwise, you know, they're pretty dry, unemotional people, you know, they, they don't seem to open up in an everyday situation. And um, but yeah, it it is interesting that. But I mean, when the when you were asked to participate in the Yorkshire Vet, did you immediately say yes to that? Did you feel, oh yeah, I, I'll be very comfortable in front of the camera, or did you have to think about it, talk to your family about it? How did you make that decision to say, yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to do this? Yeah, again, that's a really interesting question because it, it was. Um, quite a big thing, very big thing to commit to. So at that point, we thought it was going to be six episodes. 
um, mm. and, and genuinely had got no idea that it would turn to what it is now. I mean, 11, series 11 now we're in. Um, yeah. So at the practice, there was, there was three partners. I was the, the junior partner, um, and two, two of Peter obviously won, and a third partner, and he didn't want to do anything at all, and he would, was <laughs> very against it. Um, Peter kept changing his mind and couldn't really want, they didn't really want to commit to it. Um, and I thought about it and I thought, you know what, I think this would be quite good fun. Um, so I was quite keen, not because I had any aspirations to be on telly, but far from it. I'm, you know, quite the opposite, quite quiet and shy and reserved and, and never really have been comfortable in that sort of public arena. But I felt quite passionately that the kind of practice that we were doing was 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 worth sharing with people and it was worth, you know, if people wanted to watch it, I felt passionate that it was something that was worth sharing. Um, mm. And the veterinary profession at that time, there was a lot of, you know, from some sectors it was seen as, been quite profiteering and quite money driven and um, specialism was being seen as really the way forward the likes of um, super vet and things it was all kind of you know implants and artificial limbs Um, and it was almost I felt that generalism was being kind of looked down upon as not something that was Mm. really worthy of of celebrating and I feel really passionately that you know, we can do a good job as first opinion general vets rather than necessarily being a, a specialist. Um, so I was quite keen to, to share that kind of angle. Um, and, and and moreover, I just thought it would be fun. And the more I thought about it, there was this sort of little hook of, this could be really fun. It might be... I, what I really thought is it will film from April till October or April till September... And it'll be five or six months of something a bit different, and I just thought yeah. that's got to be a good thing. Um, Interesting. And 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 it was different, and it was a different way of doing our work. We did the work the same, but you had to explain it to a third party via a camera. Um, and, I've and did that? Imp- oh, sorry, sorry, Julian. I, I was just going to ask: Did that impact the the normal running of the practice? If you know what I mean. The, the filming or, or, you know, did you have to change the schedules a bit or did it sort of interrupt the flow, the rhythm, the rhythmic flow of the, the general practice? Yeah, it did a bit in that it took, it took a bit longer. Um, so, I mean, the camera teams are very um, aware of, you know, our main priorities, our job and the animals that we treat. Um, but nonetheless, there's, you know, it takes a bit longer. It takes you know, probably depends what we're doing. Yeah. It might take 20 minutes more if you're on a farm visit because they might maybe want to get some shots of you doing things. And usually after you've finished, yeah. they'll, they'll say, oh, can you just drive in again and we'll get another driving in yep. shot. Um, and things generally, generally would take a bit longer. Um, yeah. And that was, well, it was difficult because we were busy enough anyway just doing the veterinary side of things. So that f- mm. particularly the first year, every lunch break that would have happened never happened because we were tied up with filming. Every day started yep. an hour earlier and every day went on till eight o'clock rather than 
half past six sort of thing. Um, yeah. So, it, and, and you'd get home and for the first time in my whole life, I'd get home from work and sit on the sofa and fall asleep. And I was thinking, what's going on? Why am I doing this? I never sit on the sofa and fall asleep. Um, and it was because he was it was doing doing two jobs at once. It was doing your, your normal job and making a television program. And, and luckily, as time's gone by, the the second bit has become more second nature. Um, yeah, but it was. So hard I mean, what, yeah, no, no, that's really really interesting. Actually, I mean, when when someone is a a student vet, you know, are you deciding at that point whether you're going to be a specialist in a particular area? Um, uh, being a vet, you know, specialising in small animals, big animals, or a certain type of animal, or or um, or being a general vet, is that something that you know you've gone through in your mind, or, or have you always felt, no, I'm going to be uh, a vet that deals with big, little, and everything in between? Um, personally, I, I always, when I started um, as a vet, I always wanted to work in mixed practice. And I've been yep. doing that for crikey, what now? Nearly, yeah, nearly twenty-five years. Um, <laughs> so quite a long time of, of mixed things. I wanted to work in Yorkshire, and I wanted to work outside in the fresh air. Um, yes. And I've definitely done both those things. I came from um, a mining town in West Yorkshire, where there wasn't a lot of greenery there. Mm. Everything was grey and and gloomy. And I, I've always liked being outside, and I, I've always obviously like animals and working with them so I wanted to do yeah. a, a, a general a mixed practice kind of job um, mm. it gets harder of course as time goes by and it's you know it's more challenging um, but I think there's still a lot of young vets that want to pursue a, a generalist um, career at least to start with but there's there's always tendencies I think now increasingly for uh, for vets coming out of vet school to be to be going down one angle, orthopedic surgery maybe, or just specialising mm. in horses, or just maybe cats or dogs or, or whatever, or, or just farm work, for example. So there's definitely um, an increasing tendency to do just single species or single discipline um, yeah. vet work. And I guess, yeah. you know, I, I don't, there's no problem with that. No, no, I think that's great. Um, to be very good at, at, at something is, is great. But I, I think... It's a much more rich and varied job if you can be very good at lots of things, and then you get the satisfaction of doing lots of things very well, rather than just one one thing very well. As as you absolutely, know. yeah. And I suppose you know people have all sorts of things that they have as pets nowadays. You know, a greater variety than than perhaps we used to. But you know, here we are. We're sort of in quasi lockdown you know we've had a, a strange few months a challenging few months for sure and so I mean how has this impacted on your practice um on on you know everything that you've done so far whether it's it's as a as a vet or through the filming um with Yorkshire vet and so on how has all of this impacted your work yeah it's been difficult um as it has for everybody. In, in some ways, I feel a bit of a whinger to moan about it because I've been able to get out and about. And, and certainly at the beginning, springtime, there was a lot of uh, lambing time, carving was going yeah. on. And and I, I'd drive past houses on my way to lamb a sheep on a Sunday afternoon. And, and I knew full well that there'd be kids in that house that would not have left the, 
left the house for, for all day, all week, or whatever. So mm. it, it was nice to be able to get out and be relatively normal. Um, mm. That said, it caused a lot of um, constraints as to the way we were working, as as it has to everyone. Um, and you know, on the one hand, we were trying to, you know, do what we were told, but yet on the other hand, it was impossible to do that and do your job. So I remember one day going to do a cesarean on a on a on a heifer, and it was big and heavy and. There was no way I could do that with, without having the farmer help me physically pull the car oh, out. Of course. And, and so, you know, you can mitigate the risks as much as you can, but but quite a lot of what we were doing, it was impossible to do that and, and still carry on functioning. Um, and, and we were limiting, you know, contact with people and clients and things. And that I found that difficult because, you know, it's the essence of communication and being with people is the essence of a lot of what we do as, as people, let alone as professionals. And it, it was, it, you know, you could see pictures and videos of dogs walking along and to see if they were mm. lame and that sort of thing. And it was okay. It was better than nothing, but it wasn't the same. You felt like you couldn't do the job properly without handling that leg or, you know, physically being close to the patient and, and the owner, obviously. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, I didn't like not being able to do, not being able to do my job well, and I felt compromised, and I felt that, um, you know, th- things weren't being done correctly because of the situation that we were all in, and I found that yeah. quite frustrating. Um, in terms of the yeah. team, it, it was, it was even worse because they couldn't do any, you know, we, at least we could do the stuff that was emergency or welfare driven or you know, ill animals and things, but they didn't do anything for about two months. Uh, Gosh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I watched the Yorkshire vet last night on television and, and saw Peter dealing with a tortoise, I think it was, and just, uh, I think it was a tortoise anyway, and, and just opening up the little mouth, you know, and he was saying, oh my gosh, it's a strong tortoise. And and there's just a little bit of yellow that he said was unusual and it might have been an infection in the mouth. And, and well, that would have been really difficult to try and suss out, you know, if if he just didn't get his finger in, in the tortoise's mouth, you know, and open open it up and because it's small anyway, you know. And uh, so, yeah. And, and one time I remember um, a, a lady had sent a picture of a cat that had some um, some skin lesions and she'd taken a picture of one small area on the cat's leg which looked for all the world like a small patch of dermatitis and a colleague had seen this and we were doing things by email pictures and phone calls and stuff and had prescribed some some cream to put on this lesion and it hadn't got any better and the, I'd spoken to the lady and said well you better come in to, to, to examine the animal properly and the, the poor cat, the whole of it's body surface was covered in similar lesions that the owner hadn't noticed just because oh, the hair hadn't fallen. Wow. So it needed systemic wow. treatment rather than just topical treatment on that localised area. And it was com- completely yeah. missed by um, by the owner and, and, and the vet who had seen the little, uh, you know, just the emailed picture. So you're dead right. Yeah. Something like the mouth of a tortoise, you've got to be there to, to see it. And the same with the cat, even with the lesion on the, on the surface. Um, yeah. So there isn't really any, any um, you know, 
you've got to really examine things, I think, to do it properly. I was frustrated yeah. that we were probably missing things by not being thorough. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I suppose, though, the world of being a vet has really progressed through the technology we have. You know, have you seen a big difference since perhaps you were a student? And I'm by no means saying that you're over the hill or anything like that. But you know what I mean? From maybe 25 years ago or whatever to to now. I mean, I can't imagine the advancements just as there's been in medicine um, and, and technology just in general with communication. And here we are talking via Zoom, you know. It's it's really interesting, actually. Um, and I was thinking about this um Recently, um, I write an article in the Yorkshire Post every week, and I always think of of different angles. And um, so I've actually written uh, one of my columns about exactly that, how technology is advanced in some areas, but completely not advanced in other areas. Ah. I I was watching the new uh, remake of All Creatures Great and Small last night um, on, on telly, and there was one little clip where there was... Two pieces of equipment that uh, Siegfried had picked up to show to the young James Herriot. Um, mm. One was something called a, a bedizzo, which is for castrating um, cattle, and the other was an emasculator for castrating um, cows and stallions. And exactly the same pieces of equipment would be used by me. I used emasculators last week and I used bedizzos last week. So some ha- hasn't changed over 90 years, well, 80 years. It's oh, um, amazing. Yeah, and it's just the same, just exactly the same. Admittedly, the ones we use are rusty and old and they look ancient, but they're still, <laughs> they're still quite usable. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you've got very, you know, modern anaesthetics, for example, that are the same essentially as, as humans have. Um, yeah. I was talking to, a, well, today, another interesting case, a dog that I'd given a barium meal to, to x-ray the dog and barium meal. And that is something that would have been done, you know, 50 years ago as a matter of routine, probably in the right mm. case. Um, and yet it's regarded as quite old-fashioned. And then following on from that, the next discussion I had with the owner was that, we may need to do an MRI scan on this on this dog. So, yeah. um, so uh, which you know, when I first started uh, as a vet, and even at vet school, you know, that wasn't a thing. No one really had MRI machines, and now, you know, there's one within half an hour's drive of of, of the practice. Um, so things have definitely advanced. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that the traditional ways have completely disappeared because some of the stuff is, is, is exactly the same as, you know, James Herriot's day. And carrying mm. a cow, castrating a horse is probably pretty much this, the same as it was then. Um, mm. So so there's definitely been some, some advancements for the better, but there's still some old-fashioned ways that we still cling on to. Yeah, really interesting that. And I have to ask, I mean, really... You know, have you had complete and utter disastrous moments or moments that you felt that, ah, yes, that I was expecting that to go absolutely smoothly and well, and then something unexpected happened um, or something where you, a situation where perhaps you were thinking doom and gloom and this is the end for that particular 
you, you know, animal or whatever, and and actually it's pulled through, or you know, just any. You, know, I'm often asked as a musician, oh, any funny stories or any disasters or any whatever, and I can never think of any when I'm asked. But uh, I just wonder if you've got, you know, a little story, a little, you know, Time, yeah. Something. I mean, ma- most days there's something that goes not to plan. <laughs> if I'm honest, Evelyn. Um, I mean, one of the worst, actually, I can think of um, was um, I was castrating some little piglets at the practice. They're just a week or two old. And there were six, I think, that came in sort of um, pet, sort of rare breed pigs. And it's a very simple, straightforward job. They make a huge commotion because they don't like being handled. Um, Mm. And I was going through, this was all being filmed. This was series two or series three, I think, of the Yorkshire Vet. And everything was going fine. And I was on piglet number four um, and unbeknownst as a testicle number eight um, um, unbeknownst to me this pig, little piglet had a what's called an inguinal hernia where the so basically the I cut through the scrotum t- took the testicle out and then all the intestines fell fell out of the hole so like a, a pile of snakes on the table there was a piglet and all its intestines fell out and Oh. You know when something goes wrong and you get that really cold feeling inside and you think, oh, oh no, this is a disaster. Um, and I thought, I must try and stay calm. So I just stayed calm and rushed it into theatre and anaesthetised it. And um, and luckily managed to save the piglet and save the day. Um, but that could have very much have been a complete and utter um, d- disaster. And that was um, was was fine. And then you get the other other side of things as well, where you think something is a total and utter disaster and is never going to come right, and and then miraculously or for whatever reason mm-hmm. everything's right. We've just been treating a pony this week um, within the practice, and colleagues who have been, you know, doom and gloom, and and that far from putting down the little pony, and and finally we tried another treatment, uh, and it's rallied and seems to still be going strong so you get you get both really and and I think with with experience and practice you get quite a good sense of intuition about what's you know what is going to work and it's it's quite you get some making a diagnosis is a great thing to work out what the problem is but then making an accurate prognosis as to what's going to happen is even better because that's telling the owner what you know what is going to what's going to happen and that's really important because it's no good making a diagnosis if you get the prognosis completely wrong so yeah. you need to be able to work out what what's likely to happen and it's notoriously difficult with sheep of course because the sheep that you think you've done a brilliant job of and sutured its intestines back together and everything's perfect then goes and dies before you've left the farm and the, the one <laughs> the one whose uterus fell out and was covered in straw and mud and, and everything that has yeah. got zero hope is still going uh, the next lambing time. So it's, it can be difficult to predict, but uh, but yeah, there's there's and it adds to the the great emotion of everything because you don't necessarily know quite what's going to happen. Um, Absolutely, and I think what you said earlier that you stayed kind of calm. You know, there's a there's a, a calmness about this situation, and certainly when I've watch the Yorkshire vet for example um there seems to be a calmness there even when you know all hell could break loose 
But um, and I found that even with the vets who visited the farm, you know, when I was growing up, there was a certain kind of calmness which gave real trust and control towards a situation, you know, from a, an owner's point of view. Um, and I think that does an awful lot to the to the landscape of the situation, really. And I suppose that's a form of listening. Yeah, I've always tried to um, to, to stay calm and level-headed and. Uh, even when things are going wrong, you know, like Rudyard Kipling's <laughs> poem, isn't it? If you can keep your head when all around you were losing this. But in the early days, a very good friend who was one of the camera camera ladies, camera women, she said one day, Julian, do you think you could just maybe run around a bit more and make it a bit more dramatic? Oh, dramatic, yeah. Can you just make it a bit more dramatic? Because, you know, people are like that. If you just ran a bit faster or did something quickly and I said well Laura not really because I can't really do that it's just how I am um and yet you've run up and down mountains and skied across here there and everywhere and yeah but there there was there was this sort of desire to have kind of a bit more kind of kind of thing um I do move quickly when I need to move quickly, but uh, I try to, to keep keep calm where, best, where, 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 where I can. Get a bit of Hollywood in there and razzmatazz and spice up Yorkshire. It's one of my favourite places, Yorkshire, I have to say. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, we like it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because um, uh, a few years ago I had to open a, a, a section of a, a local hospital and... Um, and I was talking to a consultant. It was for a, a, an ear, nose and throat section um, of the, the hospital nearby. And the consultant, and the audiologist uh, consultant, he was saying how uh, when he was a student that nothing at all was addressed as far as listening is concerned, listening to his patients, you know, listening to their situation and so on. And he said that as the years have gone by, the first thing he now does is to walk into the waiting room where the patients are obviously waiting and just literally sit down with the person he's due to, to see next and just sit down in that waiting room and say, how are you? And et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I can really diagnose or at least, you know, create some information regarding that person without them really knowing it. So just by having a normal conversation and he said it's amazing how, in his situation, he was in the world of hearing, but he hadn't really thought about listening. And I suppose, you know, as a vet, you're clearly, you know, hearing a lot of things, whether it's hearing a heartbeat or, or feeling um, a pulse or whatever it may, might be. But it's the listening aspect, you know, how that animal looks the, the owner listening, 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 what are the words, what's the expression, and, and so on. And that, that must all kind of come together. It, yes, it does. And I learned this very early on in my veterinary career, um, and it, it wasn't really about the blood tests and the x-rays. It was, it, it was it, it, yeah, it was listening to the owner. And, you know, you know your animals better than better than the vet does, and, and listening and 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 looking and observing them, you can tell more about what's wrong with the dog by looking at its eyes than you can by taking its temperature. And there's so much just in the in the facial expression, hmm. even um, before you've even reached for a stethoscope, before you've even 
taking the thermometer out of its um, packet or and definitely before you've got to the stage of blood tests and x-rays and MRI scans as as, as I was mentioning before just reading mm. the dog and listening to the owners and you, you're halfway there in terms of your diagnosis by picking up those that those really essential bits of um, of information and it happens all the time I get called in by junior colleagues to say oh Julian can you look at this x-ray of a dog's abdomen and 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 to get to the x-ray the x-ray is there and the dog in the x-ray room is around the corner on the table and I always go straight to the dog feel the dog's tummy with my my fingers before looking at the x-ray because most of the time you you can tell Tell me, these things are way more sensitive than x-rays and you can Amazing. feel where the tension is, feel where the tightness is, feel the, the shape of the kidneys, the structure of the kidneys, the, whether they're knobbly or swollen. You can mm. feel the outline of the liver. You can tell if there's pain anywhere um, and you can tell if that abdomen's relaxed. And especially if you do that and look at the dog's face, sometimes if you touch a bit that's sore, the eyes just narrow just a touch and, and that's the point where mm. the soreness is. Um, mm. And when I'm palpating a dog's back, for example, I'll prod along the back like this quite firmly and all the time mm. watching the expression on the face and tying it. Sometimes they turn around and try and bite your hand off if it's very painful. <laughs> um, and then you have to be careful. But if it's just <laughs> subtle, you, you just find that there's a narrowing of the eyes that says, yeah, it's a bit sore there. And we'd go... Like that, yeah. or yeah. make some small gesture, um, and it's picking up on those. And if you can pick up on the small things, which saves the need to do lots of expensive tests, because you can. So yeah, you're right. Listening, subtle things, and yeah, th- fingers and ears yeah. are important things, aren't they? Yep, fingers, ears, and eyes. Eyes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eyes, really, yeah. No, that's really interesting. And you know, I, I don't want to take up too too much of your time. Oh, no, I could Tam, do this all, all afternoon. I'm loving it. It's great. Uh, no more operations today. Uh, no, I'm off this afternoon. I, I timed timed my appointment with you so that I wouldn't have any any interruptions. <laughs> um, so you're talking to a drummer then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Julian, I do have, um, I've got a little test for you because um, I've got some old old bones here. Can you see? So I'm holding them close up to to you to see. Yeah. But they're musical bones, but they're animal bones. So which animals would these be? Do you know by looking at them? Uh, they look like tongue depressors for, for pressing oh. your tongue down. Um, but they're not, obviously, or lolly sticks. Um, no. <laughs> Are there actual uh, ribs? Are bones. there rib bones? Cow ribs? Are they cow ribs? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the, I would say they look like ribs because they're flat and long. Um, and they're they're bent. And they're a bit curved, yeah. Um, could they be ribs from, I don't know, some kind of... Are they from a, maybe from a fish? Oh, I don't think so somehow, but who am I to say that to Julian Norton? Yeah, I um, don't know, to be honest. I... My, my I'm least, not sure. My least successful exam ever was my second year anatomy exam. Um, <laughs> well, here's another one then. Well, they're, they're actually playable. We do actually play these. And normally the modern musical bones are made of wood. So it could be rosewood or beech wood or whatever wood, different kinds of what wood. What do you do? Do you hit them or do you hit them on each other? No, I can't really play them, I'm afraid. So I can't show you. But you put them between your fingers 
like that. And then you you kind of clicky clickety click, but there's amazing bones players out there. But um, but I've got something else in in the the instrument category. Yeah, that's a that's a mandible from. I would say that's a mandible from a probably a cow. What's the could what be the, under the front teeth look like? Oh no, horse. Horse or donkey? Or donkey? I can't tell. My anatomy isn't no. that good. I would say possibly. I a have horse no idea because a donkey would be a bit shorter, perhaps. Ah, okay, okay. And in. In Mexico and South America, they call this a, a cajita, and you get some amazing players on this. The, the modern... Was that the teeth rattling? Yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah, and you can actually feel the teeth rattling, you know, as you're holding the, the cajita. And then the other, the modern version of that, um, because obviously you don't want to see people playing, you know, real jawbones. This is the modern version. Excellent. And what's that called? Like is that, that the same name? This is a vibra slap. A vibra slap. Wow. Vibra slap. Yep. And then the other animal-related thing I have to show you is an elephant bell. And it's it's got a little clap. Uh, not a clapper. A great big. Uh, well, it is a clapper, but it's a. a I think this is brass or something. It's really heavy. And is that, do elephants have it around the neck? Yeah. Like yeah. cows in the Alps? <laughs> yes. Yes, they hang it around their neck. And uh, But you can get really very large ones. I mean, it's a two-hander thing to lift it up. And then the other thing I have that I thought might interest you is a turkey call. <laughs> and would you use that, would you play an instrument like that ever? Um, I would use something like this for writing library music. Right. So music for TV adverts, that type of thing. Um, or here's another version of the turkey call. <laughs> or then finally, um, I could have got out a lot more things, but anyway. And then this is just a little wooden bird. Which is um, very common in Vietnam. So they have a lot of um, these types of things. It could be crickets, it could be birds, um, little insect sounds. Just got a couple of birds. <laughs> sounds like cartoon music. I'm trying to yeah, think of the absolutely. genre of cartoon that that would come from. Quite old-fashioned ah. cartoon, those um, like Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse, really old-fashioned ah. ones. Would that be right? Oh, interesting, yeah. interesting. Very I nice mean, sound. It's, all of these sound effects are, are, you know, really fascinating. And, and, you know, you must know, you know, during this whole lockdown period, the, the emphasis we've had on, um, on observing nature a lot more than we've ever observed nature and, you know, the sounds, the movements and, um, just all the little creepy crawlies in our gardens and so on. And I think these sounds are, you know, in a way sometimes magnified at the moment and, well, can I give you a sound? Um, I was filming with some pigs on Monday, and since I've been doing my podcast, which is now ground to a bit of a halt with, with lockdown, I've been <laughs> recording all sorts of noises from animals when I come across them. And I think, 
I might have Brilliant. some. Oh, maybe I haven't. Oh, now I've deleted. I thought I had some pig grunting noises. <laughs> Let me see whether this is making a noise. This is a, actually a wild boar. That's the wild boar there. I, I'm, I don't oh, know. wow. So I can see that on your phone. Wow. Gosh, I think a neighbour in the local village has one that I filmed. But it, no, it, let it, me find some animal noises because I've started recording animal noises everywhere I go. Um, so we could have a masterpiece by you. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a masterpiece. Let me find... Oh, no, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm letting everybody down. There's no music. It's a cow, anyway. It's not a very good cow. <laughs> anyway, on that fun note, Julian, I just want to say a massive... You know, I've got, I have to say, I wrote out a whole shed load of questions and things like that, and I haven't looked at anything. So I'll probably, you know, end this podcast and then look through the questions and think, oh, why didn't I ask this or that? But well, if if, anyway. um, if people like listening to us, then uh, I'd be lo- lo- love to come on again. So if you've got oh, space, then then I'm sure we can do round two. Be very welcome. Well, we can have a duet with the pigs and the cows and, and, and all of that. That would be fun. That would be better, yeah. I'll, if I organise myself, I'll get some proper animal music lined up and we can do a duet. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Julian, very much. And we wish you all the very best during this uh, kind of more challenging times that we're we're experiencing. And my, my wife plays the violin and flutes, and she's very good at that sort of thing. So yeah, more than really, welcome, more than welcome yeah. to come. But yeah. she, she was was even more excited about this than than, than, than oh, I am. Is she? Um, at work at the moment, so. Uh, and uh, she's so also stuff. a vet, Julian. Am I right? Your, yeah, your wife is. is also a vet. Yeah. Wow! Oh yeah. goodness me. I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one.